I am a very different person now than when I started dating my wife, Amanda. Okay? And not just because I've gotten older, but I have grown and learned some things that I never would have known about myself until I got in a relationship with Amanda. Here, for instance, you might not know this about me, but there was a time in my life when I was a very picky eater. It's true. Now, I know it doesn't look like it, but there was a time in my life when I was a picky eater. Now, I've always loved, you know, good barbecue and Mexican food and American food and Southern food. I mean, those are the food groups in Texas where I grew up, okay? But there are certain foods I just didn't care for, certain ethnic foods I just couldn't get on board with, like Asian foods. Now, before you get offended, okay, hold on, hold on. I said this is how I used to be, okay? Now, there was a time when I just, I didn't care for Asian foods. And it wasn't until Amanda and I started dating, I started to like Asian foods. And here's why. I found out very early on that Asian foods are some of her favorite foods. And so Amanda showed my stomach the ways of good Chinese food and good Japanese food and, and good Thai food and other kinds of Asian foods. And, uh, and now I'm proud to say it's some of my favorite foods too. You know, if I need to carb up, I know where to go, okay? And Amanda and I, even now, we have standing dates on Valentine's Day and our anniversary every year to go get some of that sushi. We do. Now, if you don't care for sushi, maybe you need to talk to Amanda and she needs to show you the ways, okay? But we love it. And I never would have thought that I would be eating sushi as a, a, an older adult. Now, how did I change? What happened? Well, as I became uh, more and more involved with Amanda and she became more and more important to me in my life and became part of the purpose I was living for, I started to change. I discovered new things about myself. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe in the context of a relationship, but maybe outside the context of a relationship. Have you ever had something about yourself change because you started living for a new purpose? Sometimes you'll hear people make this comment. If you would have asked me five years ago if I would ever fill in the blank, I would have said you were crazy. Or maybe they'd say, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, or 20 years ago, I would have said you were crazy. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? If, if it was me, I would say, if you would have asked me 15 years ago, if I'd be living in Southern California, I would have said you were crazy. Because when I imagined my life, I did not think a man and I would be living in Southern California. Now, I love California. This is a great place to be. I mean, we got 300 plus days of sunshine, but I just never thought it was going to be part of my experience as an adult. Okay. Now, what's something that your younger self, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. What's something that you're doing right now that your younger self would never have expected? What's something that you, something that you are or something that you're doing that your younger self would have never expected? Is there something you have become that you wouldn't have imagined? Maybe are you married to somebody who you didn't get along with at first? Now, I hope you get along now, okay? I hope so. But maybe that came out of nowhere. Or do you have more kids than you thought you would have? Uh, maybe you all of a sudden got twins and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. 
Are you in a completely different job field than you started out? Maybe you didn't see that coming. Are you, do you live in a different part of the world? Or maybe, have you found Jesus and you never thought you would have? It's so interesting where our lives unexpectedly take us. And as Christ followers, we can say it's amazing to see how, how God takes us places, especially when we don't see it coming. Think about this for a moment. What will your future self be doing that you would never expect today? Where will God take you tomorrow? What yet unknown purpose does he have for you? We're in our series, Aftermath, and what we've been talking about these last couple weeks is the events immediately following the resurrection of Jesus, the aftermath of the resurrection. And we've talked about the development of the church and the reach of the church that Jesus built. We've talked about specific events that immediately followed the resurrection, and we've also talked about individuals that were radically changed and then used by God to advance the purpose of the kingdom of God. And today we're going to talk about another individual who was radically changed. We're going to talk about Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul. Saul, he experienced a radical change during his lifetime. And Paul is one of these guys that if we were to tell his younger self some of the things he ended up doing in his life, he would have said we were crazy. If we would have said, younger Paul, do you know that you're going to start 14 churches for Jesus? Did you know that you're going to mentor other pastors? Did you know that you're going to write? 13 or maybe 14 of the books that are going to be included in the New Testament. Younger Paul, did you know that second only to Jesus, you are going to be the most influential person to spread the gospel in the entire world? Younger Paul would have said you're crazy. As a matter of fact, from what we know about Paul in his younger life, not only would he have said you're crazy, he would have been insulted that we would say these things about him and so insulted he might even try to kill us. Younger Saul would have never expected his life to take the course that it did. Now, during our series, Aftermath, we've been reading mainly out of the book of Acts. And and that makes sense because the book of Acts chronicles the events that immediately followed the resurrection of Jesus. But interestingly enough, we've yet to talk about Saul of Tarsus. And I say it's interesting Because in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 9, the book of Acts mainly becomes about Saul. And we first meet Saul in Acts chapter 7. And here we we find where Stephen, a follower of Jesus, becomes the very first martyr of the church. We find that Stephen is arrested by the high council of priests and he begins to tell them, he, he's, he's interrogated, he's being grilled. He tells them about Jesus, and he tells them how Jesus is the true Messiah. But they didn't want to hear it. They became so angry and indignant at what he was saying that they grabbed him, and they dragged him outside of the city gates, and they begin to stone him. And to better throw their stones, they took their coats off, and they gave them to a young man, Saul of Tarsus. And they stoned him to death. And what I find so interesting is with the last breaths 
of Stephen, he says this in Acts chapter 7. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Here's what I find interesting about that. Stephen, his prayer was for those in attendance of that stoning. And I would say that he's praying for their salvation. He, he specifically prays for their sins. Saul was in attendance. Stephen was praying for Saul. And it seems that God answered that prayer for Saul. From there, we read about Saul and how he was introduced to Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And stick with me on this. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He, went, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he approached Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he may see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well to all the people of Israel. And I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. This is a radical transformation. And this transformation gives us all hope. Because even the worst sinner can be introduced to Jesus, can encounter Jesus, and be redeemed and start over. A couple of things about this passage. I find it so interesting that Jesus would come back so dramatically to encounter Saul and to prove to him the truth that he was the true Messiah. I find that interesting because Jesus didn't reveal himself like this to anybody else. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Well, we can clearly look back and we can see that Saul had many gifts that benefited the early church. And who are we to question God's plan? But is it possible that this had something to do with it. You remember before Jesus ascended back to heaven, 
He told the disciples to go into all the world, to preach the good news, to make disciples, and to be his witnesses. And at the time of Saul's encounter with Jesus, his conversion, do you know what the disciples were doing? Well, they were mainly hanging around in Jerusalem. They were hanging out. There, there wasn't a lot of going going on. And there was very little ministry to the Gentiles going on. And it's in this environment that Jesus calls Saul. And Saul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And the vast majority of his ministry is marked by going into all the world. You see, God's plans will be accomplished. Even if he must bring someone new in to do it. So God calls Saul. And Saul begins preaching in Damascus. And he preaches in Jerusalem. But understandably, Christians were a little skeptical of this new convert. I mean, I think we can all understand this. That yesterday, Saul was trying to kill them. And today he says he's with them. Everybody was waiting to see. But then the Jewish leaders, they were understandably angry at Saul because it seems like he's betrayed them. And Saul was stuck in between these two worlds. He had a tension between these two worlds. And if you've received Christ later in life, maybe as a teenager or a young adult or adult, then you understand this kind of tension that Saul experienced a little bit better than someone who grew up in church. You see, what, Paul, what Saul was experiencing was the fact that he had his former life, that he's not that person anymore, but he had a reputation that still followed him around. He wasn't who he used to be, but people still knew him by what he did. You understand that kind of tension. And it's in this environment where Saul meets another believer named Barnabas. And I love Barnabas. His, his real name was Joseph, but everybody called him Barnabas because Barnabas means encourager. Now, we all need a Barnabas in our life. But you know what? I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be like Barnabas. Because what Barnabas did is here is Saul experiencing this tension of being in between these two worlds, but Barnabas took a chance on Saul. He, he saw Saul, he, he, he saw maybe the spark of the potential inside of him. And so Barnabas connects Saul to the apostles. And he begins to fan that spark of potential into a flame. And as a matter of fact, it's Barnabas who connects with Saul. And together they go on Saul's first missionary journey. Now here's what's so significant about all this background of Saul. You say, Pastor Adam, you spent so much time talking about the background of Saul. Well, we're going to talk about the Bible in church. Okay, newsflash. But... Here, here's what's so important about this, okay? Saul's life was radically changed. And there were two catalysts for that change in Saul's life. The first was his salvation experience. On the road to Damascus, he was changed forever. It's where he started to become a new man. He, he left the old person he used to be behind and he began to be a new man. You see, the old person Saul used to be, as a Pharisee, he was all about the rules and working hard to, to follow all the rules so that he could gain favor with God. 
And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus turns Saul's world upside down and shows him it's less about rules and more about a relationship. This was the first major change in Saul's life. But there were two. The second happened on that first missionary journey that we talked about with Barnabas. Because it's on the first missionary journey where Saul begins to be called Paul. In the scriptures, what we read is the first time he's called Paul is on his first missionary journey. What happened was Saul found a new identity in Christ by serving on that missionary journey. And I believe this mirrors our own personal experience. Because we, you and I, are radically transformed at salvation when we encounter Jesus. But a further discovery of our identity awaits and is revealed when we serve God's purpose in our lives. Saul became Paul when he stepped into the purpose that God had for him. And for us, you can only find out who you are in Christ by serving. We find our identity in Jesus and we become who we are when we serve him. In our house, we've been talking a lot about what it means to be a Sullivan. It's my last name and so we've been talking about what it means to be a Sullivan. And I used to have a phone case and on the back was the Sullivan family crest, and I found it and stuck it on there. And what, I found that interesting because there, it had illustrations that, that stood for different characteristics for the house of Sullivan. And so when I would look at it, I'd be reminded of who I want to be. And I, I wanted to pass these things on. I wanted my kids to, to start to take on the characteristics of what does it mean to be a Sullivan. And so for today, for this day and age, we get, began to talk about what does it mean to be a Sullivan. We, we talked about how we're loyal and we're hard workers and we're good friends and we always tell the truth. And, and maybe you have similar core values for your family that you're working hard to pass on. And at home, we're, we're talking about being a Sullivan and we're talking about those characteristics. But it's one thing to talk about that and it's another thing to represent that. It's another thing to actually do them. And so being a Sullivan, my oldest son, Amos, he, he's going to have a reputation that precedes him. He's going he's to have things that people think he is just because he carries our name. But there comes a point when he needs to represent that reputation and even build upon it. And I believe that that starts when he's young in small ways, and then it's going to grow when he's older. And the same is true for his brothers. They are going to start young, and they're going to own the reputation of being a Sullivan, and it's going to grow as they get older. And I'm going to let you know the secret here. There's a third boy coming in the Sullivan family. We're excited. Okay, okay, let's get back on track. I had, I, I, a man has been begging me not to do this for weeks, okay, but I just had to, okay. Now listen, for us, for us, for us, back on track. At salvation, we are adopted into God's family, right? We carry the name of Jesus as Christians. But there, it's one thing to have the name of Jesus on us, and it's another thing to represent that name. How do we do that? We do it by serving and living for God's purpose in our lives. Serving is a major component in having the new identity 
in Christ. Here's what serving does. Serving positions our hearts in the right place. When we serve, we do so because we love God with everything inside of us. We put him first in all of our lives. And when we serve, we put others before ourselves. This is the attitude that Christ adopted. And this is the attitude that we imitate as we follow Christ. Here's why we need to do it. We need to find out, here's what we need to do. We need to find out what God has gifted and called you to do. We need to find out what has God gifted and called you to do, and you need to do it. You, for, for some of us, that's a call to ministry. For, the, I, there have been so many from this church that have been called into ministry, that have been called to be pastors and missionaries and teachers. I think about the Galvans. I think about Kai and Yuli Kisler. I think about Dan and Jen Agee. Joel and Ada Bueno, Nicole Herrera, I think about Amir and Denise Hodge, and the list goes on and on and on. Age is not a disqualifier to be called and give your life to ministry. God may call you to give your life to the work of the ministry. For others of us, we're called to the ministry of this local church. For Crossroads to function, as you see, it takes so many people on a weekend to minister the way you see it happen here at Crossroads. And all of us, we work together to make a way for hundreds of kids and teenagers and young adults and adults to be ministered to on a Sunday. We work together to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. And these are only a few avenues of ways that we can serve Jesus and follow God's purposes in our lives. The point is we need to do it. Here's why. Because when we serve we learn things about ourselves that we never knew before. You remember what I talked about early on when I was dating Amanda, and now I'm a sushi aficionado. Not really, but I like it, okay? I would have never thought that about myself, but now here I am. I learned something new about myself. And for us, when we serve, we learn things new about ourselves that we never thought before. You may learn that you have undeveloped talents or gifts or resources, or passions that God wants to use if you'll serve him. You know, another thing is when we serve, we see that God points on areas, he touches on areas of our lives that we still need to work on and become more like Jesus. When we serve, we realize, oh, not as good as I thought I was. I've still got work to do. See, what happens when we serve is God develops us, he develops the new things in our lives, and he challenges us when we serve. He challenges us to be better. And we need to position ourselves in a manner where Jesus can challenge us to be more like him. Is it possible that serving in God's purpose for your life has more of an impact on your spiritual development than just attending a weekend service. We cannot overlook the value of serving in our spiritual development. Now you may say, Pastor Adam, I agree with you, but I'm tired. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been saved for so many years and I've been serving and now I'm just tired. I understand the tension that comes with serving. 
Because serving, by definition, costs you something. It costs you your time. It costs you your energy. Sometimes it costs you your resources or your finances. It costs you your comfort to serve. Sometimes we can find ourselves questioning if we should continue on. Do I want to keep giving of myself? This last week, my son, my oldest son, Amos, he uh, started swim lessons for the third year in a row. And uh, it was kind of a struggle for Amanda and I to sign him up for a third year of swim lessons because we questioned, was he getting it? You know, we, we've, we've done this two years now, and he still just prefers to wear a floaty when he goes swimming. And so is he ready? Is he, is he at an age yet where he can have the, the ability to figure it out and get all the motion together and, and just make it all come together and him swim without a floaty? And so we questioned it. Um, now, as a dad, I think what's happening is he's developing this skill, but it's not something that comes easy to him or is natural to him. And so it's hard for him to learn. So I, we decided to sign him up again, and we, we think he, he can do it. He's just going to have to work for it. But on Tuesday of this last week, Amos did not want to go to swim lessons. He was digging his heels in, and he's like, no. Now, as a parent, we paid for those swim lessons. He's going to the swim lessons. Okay? Right? Um, but I want to tell you, I got a great wife, and Amanda's a great mom, and she lovingly persuaded him to go to swim lessons. Well, something happened on Tuesday. He got it. He was swimming without a floaty. His hard work paid off. Now, I tell you that story. I don't want you to just clap or cheer my family. No, there's a principle here. There is something about pushing through the pain, pushing through the discomfort. When you want to give up, still remaining faithful. There is something about remaining faithful and you push through into a new level. There's something about staying with it and it clicks. I want to encourage you. If you're getting a little tired of serving and living out the purpose God has for you, let's keep going. There is a reward for your efforts. It's going to click. By serving, you will find your new identity in Christ. Saul became Paul when he served. Who are you going to become when we serve? Now, this struggle, it's real, but it's what life is all about. And pushing through is what gets us to new places. As we begin to close, I'm going to invite the band out. I'm going to leave you with the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 3. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached a perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. 
your brothers and sisters, pattern your lives, Paul says, after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. Let's join together and let's give God everything. Let's make his will our will for our lives. Let's pattern our lives after Paul and hold nothing back. Because when we do, we find our new identity in Christ.